Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. It's Thursday, October 17th. And uh, first of all, man, I love doing this show. It's so much fun. And uh, right now I'm in the middle of having, I've been having really slow internet all week. And so uh, hopefully soon I'll get my own apartment. We'll solve these problems. You know, upload speed. For me to upload an episode to YouTube takes about eight hours right now, which is insanity and absurd and i even do it the faster way there's faster ways to do it i every if you're commenting don't comment do it this way or this way trust me i do every single way you possibly can to speed it up it's the internet is a giant problem where i live i'm moving soon i'm getting my own place it's coming we'll fix that problem this is the second podcast i'm recording this week it's number two of three the next podcast i will record will have a bunch of film analysis and all kinds of really good stuff about quarterbacks you want to hear i'm excited for that uh, I don't think people fully understand how much time it takes to record one of those. To record, it's not just recording, right? It's yeah, you got to watch film for like a ton of football games, and then you got to analyze them and figure out what do they mean. What are all the things you're learning from all of it? You got to organize the videos. You have to write it. You have to take, you know organize all your notes into something that makes sense. It's a ton of work, and then you got to edit it. And honestly, editing a bunch of clips of football takes forever. So. I, I promise you, it's coming, but I you got to understand, film analysis videos are by far, 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 far and away the most difficult thing I make, and I they're coming, they are coming. Um, I want to start today with this, though. By the way, I got to say, thank you so much to everybody who watches and listens. I'm having a blast. I love this show. It's just my favorite thing in the world, and I, uh, I'm so, so grateful for the people who do listen. Um... Let's start with Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey was traded to the LA Rams. It was a trade between the Rams and the Jaguars. The Jaguars got a haul. They got two first-round draft picks and a fourth-round pick in return for Jalen Ramsey. That's a crazy good trade for the Jaguars. And it's interesting, the Jaguars didn't have a bunch of leverage here, in my opinion. Uh, Jalen was not going to play for them, and he wanted a new contract. They weren't going to give it to him. So the fact that they got two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick shows, one, the Jaguars got a great haul. And it, two, shows that Jalen Ramsey is really, really talented. And it's funny, my mouth keeps wanting to say Jalen Hurts because that's the, the guy in my mind. No, Jalen Ramsey, the cornerback, he's, a, he's really, I think, the best corner in the NFL. But I want to start with the Jaguars. It's good for the Jaguars because they have a quarterback situation, I believe, figured out. Whether it's Nick Foles or Gardner Minshew, they have two. They're not going to draft a third quarterback. And they have two now new first-round picks on top of the ones they already have. That's great for their franchise, for building a franchise. I really like that. And especially if the Rams missed the playoffs this year, really good for the Jaguars who want that pick to be higher and as high as possible. You know, next, I'm really happy for Jalen Ramsey in this trade. Uh, He wanted out, and he's going to a really, really good franchise the LA Rams. I love the uh, the Rams general manager. I like their head coach. He gets to play for Wade Phillips, a defensive coordinator who's got a good, I think, a great football mind, who's a player's coach who likes his guys. He also gets to play for Sean McVay, a player's coach, a guy with a good culture, a guy I played with in high school, Samson Ibukam, plays for the Rams. He loves it there. The culture in that locker room is awesome. And Jalen was smart. You know, I do, you, you can't mention 
that you're happy for Jalen Ramsey without pointing out the path that got him here. You know, first he said he was sick and missed a bunch of work. And then he said he had to miss time because he wanted to spend it with his pregnant girlfriend. And then in the end, he settled on, well, my back hurts. And he had a back injury, so he missed time for that. It was really smart by Jalen because everything he said was something that's difficult to criticize, especially the, hey, I want to be with my pregnant girlfriend. It's like, well, like, in today's day and age, how can you? it's hard to be critical of that. I do want you to notice, though, the minute he got traded, oh, suddenly Jalen Hurts' back feels great. He's going to play this Sunday. Oh, wow. You know, it's, he wanted out. He wanted to get traded to the Rams. Well, he wanted to get traded anywhere other than Jacksonville. He got his wish. I think it, <laughs> it's worked out well for him. He's went to a good franchise. I'm happy for Jalen Ramsey. So what did the Rams get? What does he mean to that franchise? Honestly, I do not think that Jalen Ramsey comes in and suddenly changes their entire franchise. They're not going to go to the playoffs now because of this one move. The problems right now are the offense. It's the offensive line is a big problem for the Rams. Uh, the quarterback, Jared Goff, I'm going to do a film analysis of him eventually. I don't know what's going on. I haven't watched a bunch of film, but it sounds like it's him. And I know what I have seen is the offensive line is not very good. I watched that Rams-Buccaneers game. And uh, I think the reason why they traded for Jalen Ramsey was not to solve their immediate problems. The Rams are not crazy. They know that Jalen Ramsey's not the solution to all their problems. They're not delusional. They traded for him because he's a, an answer, a long-term solution to a problem that they have. They wanted a new premier corner. They're not going to have to worry about the corner position for years. They got Jalen Ramsey. He's 24 years old. He's already, in my opinion, the best corner in the entire NFL. That is <laughs> that's significant, right? The next six years, Jalen Ramsey in L.A., no problem. He's the guy. He's going to play for a long time at a high level. And I think for the Rams, this, the opportunity to get Jalen Ramsey was just too good to pass up. They're like, we cannot miss out on this. You know, right now, they have a keep to leave. He's out. He's older. He's injured. He's 33 years old. He's on the injured reserve. And they had Marcus Peters, who has a lot of talent, who's a really, uh, the word is just talent. He does a lot of stuff I like as a corner, but he takes a lot of risks, and that leads to inconsistent play. He gets beat often. Last year when the Rams brought in Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, I loved the move. They took a risk. Like, we're going to bring in two new corners. We're going to make a big change. And the Rams were smart to bring them in, and now they're smart to get rid of Marcus Peters. They traded away Marcus Peters to the Ravens for a linebacker and a fourth round, uh, a fifth round pick, excuse me. excuse me. And right now Aqib Tlaib, he's older, he's injured, he's on the injured reserve, he's 33 years old. And now the Rams have a long-term solution at corner that problem the one they kind of wrestled with and thought they yeah they flirted with maybe this is an idea Marcus Peters wasn't the long-term solution they wanted now they have one it's Jalen Ramsey bam problem solved and, and I'm certain they're going to extend him you don't trade two first round picks and a fourth round pick for one player and not give him a contract extension he is the long-term plan at corner for the Rams and this is really good for their team he might not immediately solve their problems on offense, which I think are really the bigger concerns with the Rams. But in that division, a division where you play Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and the 49ers, their defense is incredible. They have Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. Jalen Ramsey helps 
the Rams match up with the other teams in their division really well. You know, first of all, the 49ers have, they don't have a great receiving core. They don't have a premier number one receiver in San Francisco. Well, the Rams have a premier corner who's going to shut down whatever comes his way. And it, the 49ers are going to struggle a lot more now throwing the ball against the Rams because of this move. And then not to mention the Seattle Seahawks. Jalen Ramsey is going to play corner against DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is the Seahawks' new young rookie receiver. He's big, he's tall, he's fast, he's very athletically gifted. But he's got poor technique. He's Seattle's deep threat. And he's going to have Jalen Ramsey following him around the entire game. He's not, you know, all year we've seen the Seahawks use play action, throw the ball deep. DK Metcalf always finds a way to create separation. It's not going to happen now. (laughs) I would be shocked. I would be so, so surprised if DK Metcalf had a gigantic, crazy catch where he posterizes Jalen Ramsey. It's not going to happen. His technique isn't good enough to beat Jalen. So I think for the Rams' situation and their their unique situation in their division, it's great. Not to mention Kyler Murray, (laughs) the Cardinals quarterback, throws the ball like 100 times a game. You want a good corner. The Rams have one. I'm happy for them. You know, the la- my last thought is this. Um, I-, I think that this is a good trade for the Rams. It does not fix the offense, but it gives them a long-term solution at corner. Good for their division. He's the best corner in the league. He's only 24 years old. That's too hard to pass up. You see Jalen, you go, got to take him. But there's a tiny, tiny voice in the back of my head that goes, eh, let's hold up just a little, little bit. He has a big personality. And what did we learn from Antonio Brown? The best receiver. Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver in the entire league. And he, he wanted to get traded. He forced his team to trade him. He complained about the team. And in the end, he got paid a ton of money and became kind of a basket case. I don't know that that's going to happen here with Jalen Ramsey. I don't like saying that, but it, there is a, an, I have an air of caution when I observe what happened is, is happening with Jalen, when I observe it through the lens of we just had Antonio Brown and there's a lot of similar behavior. Jalen has a big personality. He called out his former head coach and defensive coordinator. He was very, he's been very talkative his entire career. And I understand part of why Jalen Ramsey is so talkative is he's mimicking and wants to be like Deion Sanders. Prime time. He wants to be like it. Not, fair enough. I'm the best. I'm premier. I'm the blockbuster corner. I want attention because I'm good and I deserve it. Fair enough, I guess. And for me, like as a, as a radio, as a, what am I, radio host, podcast host, whatever, as a content creator, Jalen Ramsey creates gold for me because I get to see what he says and the headlines he creates with his mouth are wonderful. I love it. And I think it's somewhat good for a locker room because he calls it like he sees it. So in some instances, in a locker room situation, Jalen Ramsey's, I would call it direct communication style can be helpful. If there's a problem, hey, let's deal with it. But there is a little bit of concern I have with Jalen Ramsey, that tiny voice in the back of my head that goes, okay, in the past, he's been unhappy. He forced the team to trade him. We saw that go horribly wrong with Antonio Brown. I don't think it's that extreme. I think Antonio Brown, there, you know, there, there are stories of Antonio Brown from years ago, people saying, don't pay him. Jalen Ramsey and Antonio Brown are not the same, but it's still worthy of, hey, let's just be a little cautious. I'm not afraid to say it. You know, 
when you lose trust with a coach, if your player's unhappy, and let me tell you from experience, as a player, the minute you don't trust your coach or your, your coordinator on your side of the ball, it's really hard to play for that guy. It's, it's hard. When you don't trust the guy calling plays and designing the offense, it's a problem. And if it ever gets there with Jalen Ramsey, I don't know. You got to keep him happy. I, I just, I don't, that's the only, the only like negative part of this entire trade is if somehow, and we're taking leaps and steps, we're asking a lot of if questions, you know, if this, if this, but if you take the right amount of question marks and put them all in one box, if the right things happen all in a row, is it possible that eventually Jalen Ramsey becomes a problem? I don't think so. But whenever a guy, I, I'm cautious now more than ever after Antonio Brown, when a guy calls out his coach, demands a trade, has a big personality, I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant now than I've ever been in the past because I'm trying to learn from the past. And so all I'm saying is I hope that Jalen Ramsey has a great attitude. I hope he wants to be there. I hope he buys in. And I hope he stays happy with the Rams because if he's not happy, he will tell you that. And he's not afraid to speak up. Now, also, I don't think he is a problem. I don't think he's a gigantic problem like other players are in the NFL. I think the reason why we saw that side of Jalen Ramsey, I think the reason why he did that, called out his coach, said this, is because he wanted out. He wanted to get out. But once you do it once, it opens the door to do it again. I've, and now I've now talked way more than I wanted to about my tiny little concern. I'm, I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion. It's a tiny concern. The Rams got the best corner in the NFL. It's good for them. It helps their positioning, their division. And the Jaguars won because they got two first-round draft picks, not to mention the fourth. That's great for them. But I do have a tiny, 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 tiny bit of concern when I watch what happened with Jalen Ramsey. Okay, uh, there, are, there are six really, really interesting games happening in week seven of the NFL season. That's this weekend. And these are games that I think will be good matchups. You know, next week I'll do a follow-up video to this one saying, what happened? Let's analyze the six matchups I talked about. Where was I wrong? I really want to create a series where every week I say, these are the interesting games. I think they're good matchups. Here's what happened. And I think everybody does some kind of topic leading into a weekend. A lot of people do predictions or they talk about over-unders and gambling. I don't gamble at all. I'm not into betting. I don't have the money to do it. I, I can't waste money gambling. I'm just not, I'm not in a financial position to do that. And even if I was, that's not really who I am. I don't want to spend money that way. So what I want to do is point out the six games I think are the best matchups in this weekend and that I don't know what's going to happen. My favorite thing in football and really in all sports is when I don't know what's going to happen. When I can't predict the outcome, that gets me excited. And so these are the six games I think are most interesting this weekend in the NFL. Number one is the Texans at the Colts. The Texans are four and two. The Colts are three and two. And this is a really, really great matchup. And we're in a unique situation with these two teams. Both of them are coming off victories over the Kansas City Chiefs. It's very interesting. You know, the Texans beat the Chiefs last week in week six. And two weeks ago in week five, the Colts beat the Chiefs and then had a bye week. So their very next game is against the Texans. That's kind of cool, kind of unique, interesting. And the matchup I cannot wait to see in this game is Deshaun Watson against the Colts defense. I, I think, you know, Deshaun Watson to me is one of the, the word is, that comes to my mind is like premier or 
blockbuster or must-watch quarterbacks. He's the future of the NFL, in my opinion. I really love him. It's like him, Patrick Mahomes, and we'll see who else kind of comes and rises to the top. I thought maybe Baker. I thought maybe Carson Wentz. They're both, you know, up and down. But Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes have consistently been incredible. They're the future of the NFL. And to me, Deshaun Watson is unrivaled. Nobody appreciates him enough. And the Colts' defense, not only are they phenomenal, they're also getting back Darius Leonard, a linebacker who had a concussion. He was out for a couple weeks. He's coming back into the roster this week to play. And the interesting part of this matchup is that the Colts played a lot of press man coverage against the Kansas City Chiefs two weeks ago. I do not think they can do that and get away with it this week. The problem is that the Texans have, unlike the Chiefs, the Texans have a great receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. I dare you to play press man coverage against DeAndre Hopkins. That's a bad idea. Even for the Colts. I think the Colts have good personnel. They're not going to be able to play that style of defense. I am excited to watch that matchup. What happens? However, the Colts have had two weeks to prepare for this game. They had a bye week. So their defense is going to have a plan. Their offense is going to have some kind of plan. That's what I'm excited to see. You know, I don't like, you know, that's not true. I like Jacoby Brissett, the Colts quarterback. I don't love him. You can like something. Love is a next level. I love my girlfriend. I like my friends. I like Jacoby Brissett. I love Russell Wilson. It's a different level. And yet with two weeks to plan and a great offensive mind, Frank Reich as the head coach slash offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, I'm excited to see what happens. The Texans and Colts, it's going to be a phenomenal game this weekend. It's on CBS. I hope you watch I can't wait to talk about it next week. There's an, the second game I want to talk about, it's the Cardinals at the Giants. The Cardinals are 2-3-1. and one, The Giants are 2-4. and four. And this game is fun for one reason to me. I, I can think of a second one, but for me, it's the matchup between rookie quarterbacks Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray. The first overall pick and the sixth overall pick. They're meeting today or this weekend. It's going to be awesome. I, I cannot... Cannot wait to watch this game on Sunday. It's not today. It's happening on Sunday. And part of what's fun about this is I'm not sure which team has the edge. I'm, I have a hunch that the New York Giants have the edge. They're getting their running back, Saquon Barkley, back from an injury. He, had a, he rolled his ankle, basically. And every report I'm hearing out of New York is that Saquon Barkley is rearing, ready to go. Like when you, you, know, you hold something back for a while... And it just builds up. You're like, I want to get it out. I want to. Saquon Barkley's ready to explode. He's the running back for the Giants. I am so excited to watch him and the effort he brings on Sunday. However, don't forget, you know, the, the Cardinals have a good running back too. They have David Johnson. He's been injured. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but he is expected to play. But the key, though, is these two quarterbacks. Both quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, have a ton, a ton of talent. And Kyler has been having, he got put a lot on his plate. Kyler Murray has the entire offense at his disposal. He's doing stuff that I'm very impressed with. So if you get a chance, give that game a glance. Watch the Cardinals and the Giants if you get a chance. Just check in that game. I think it's going to be a fun watch, a good matchup. And I'm excited to see what happens. The next game I want to talk about is in Chicago. It's the Bears hosting the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are 5-1. The Bears are 3-2. And, 
And what's shocking to me is that the Saints are 4-0 without their starting quarterback, Drew Brees. <laughs> wow, that's awesome to me. And their backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, for the Saints, has really stepped up. He's doing a great job. However, here are the teams at Teddy Bridgewater and the defenses Teddy Bridgewater has faced so far. I think the most impressive was the Seattle Seahawks, but he's also played against the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, and the Jaguars. Look, the, the Buccaneers have a good defensive line, and the Cowboys have a, a good pass rusher. The Seahawks aren't terrible. They have a good pass rush. But this game is different. You know, you can, yeah, you, I guess you, you can kind of go, ah, I don't know what to think. It's the weaker defenses. This game against the Bears defense and Khalil Mack, this is the one for Teddy Bridgewater that if he wins this game and plays well, you can't not buy into him anymore. You, this is a statement game and an opportunity for Teddy Bridgewater to prove who he is as a quarterback and show he can show up against an elite defense because that's what's going to happen on Sunday. He's going to play against a really, really fantastic guy. I think the word is elite, an elite defense. And, you know, the Saints defense is also really good. This could be kind of a boring game because Mitchell Trubisky, if Teddy Bridgewater struggles against a great defense, which, hey, look, any quarterback will struggle against the Bears defense. Even Tom Brady is going to slow down a lot. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, no matter who it is, right, they slow down against the Bears defense because they're so good. But the Saints defense is really good. And Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback, is inept. He's like, he drives me nuts. Like, he has receivers open. He either doesn't see them or doesn't make a throw. He's very inconsistent. He could either, he's either going to cost the Bears the game this weekend or be the reason why they don't score a ton of points. I don't have a lot of faith in him, and I give an edge to the Saints because of their quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. But the narrative here is two weaker quarterbacks, two great defenses, and an opportunity for Teddy Bridgewater to make a name for himself and say, look, I'm 4-0, now I'm 5-0, and I beat an elite Bears defense. Give me the respect I deserve when you talk about me and mention my name. It's going to be a really fun game either way. Now, the Ravens at the Seahawks in Seattle. The Ravens are 4-2. The Seahawks are 5-1. The Ravens at the Ravens are at the Seahawks. And, uh, man, these are two teams that run the ball really, really well. Both teams have mobile quarterbacks. The Ravens just traded for Marcus Peters, who I think is going to play. He went to college at University of Washington in Seattle. But the narrative here is Seattle's really, really good at home. And it's going to be a really fun test for the Baltimore Ravens. They've played in a lot of close games this year, at least where the, fin the final score was close. Uh, they blew out the Ravens, though. They got blown out by the Browns. And then when the Ravens played the Chiefs, they, the final score says that they were closer, but the truth is it was a blowout, and then the, R the Ravens got a bunch of points in garbage time. And then the truth is the Ravens beat the Bengals, the Steelers, and... Uh, is it just the Bengals and Steelers? Yeah, it's just those two. The Ravens beat the Bengals and the Steelers by two points, by one score. Sorry, my notes confused me. I apologize. So if you're beating the Bengals and Steelers by one score, and that's the, look, it is the NFL. And the NFL, what I love about the NFL is you never know what to expect. There's a lot of parity. Even the bad teams are good enough to compete. But I have a lot of questions still about this Ravens team. What are they? Are they a potential playoff team? Are they not? Like, where are they somewhere in the middle? Are they where they're kind of around the, where the Lions are, where the Lions are really good? They're, they're going to meet a lot of teams, but they not, might not quite be in the playoffs. Who is this Ravens team? If they can go into Seattle 
a really tough place to win. I'm from the Northwest. It's incredibly loud. I've never been to a game, but I'll, it's the reputation. All my friends that go there say it's incredibly loud there. It's hard to play. And the Seahawks rarely lose in Seattle. If the Ravens can go into Baltimore and make a statement and beat the Seahawks, that'd be a big, impressive win to me. The next game I want to talk about is the Eagles at the Cowboys. Both teams are 3-3 three and three. in Dallas. I think the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, could have a fantastic game here. The Eagles' defense is not good against the pass. However, I said Dak could have a great game here. Here's the thing. The Eagles are really good at stopping the run. It's a weird contrast of the team. They have a great run defense. The Eagles' defense has, is horrible against throwing the ball. Can Dak succeed if his running game has a bad day? This is a, you got to win. If you're the, the Cowboys right now, you're 3-3 three and three against a division rival, the Philadelphia Eagles. You cannot afford to lose to the Eagles, and, and Dak cannot afford to have a bad day here. He's already, look, I called him not elite. I said I wouldn't pay him big money the other day. It's really looking bad for him, and he's got to win this game. He's got to bring out a good showing. Is it possible if he has a bad year this year that the Cowboys go, you know what? Let's get a guy in the draft. Let's draft somebody else and see if we have Dak. We're not going to pay him a lot. And maybe maybe we can find a better guy. Now, all of this could be meaningless if the Eagles quarterback, Carson Wentz, plays like I know he's capable of. Right now, he has 12 touchdowns and three interceptions. I like him. But I've been waiting for him to wow me ever since his great season he had in 2017. I thought he should have been the NFL MVP that year, but he got hurt right at the end. And he hasn't been the same since. This is the game where Carson Wentz better show up, and he has a chance to make a statement here. Both teams are 3-3. Three and three. The Eagles at the Cowboys. I know it'll be somewhere on television. Find it. Watch it. It's a great game and a great matchup for two teams kind of backed into a corner that both need a win. Finally, the last game I want to talk about the New England Patriots at the New York Jets. Be on alert for a Patriots loss. I know that's weird. I don't say that very often. The Patriots are 6-0. The Jets are 1-4. Zach, how could you possibly say that? It's the Jets. It's the Patriots. What are you talking about? I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm not calling my shot here at all. I'm just laying out a potential storyline. If, like, if, if this happens, I'm not going to come out on Tuesday and go, I was right. I told you guys the Jets would beat the Patriots. All I'm going to say is, I said there's a chance this could happen. But I think there's a chance the Jets could beat the Patriots this week. They have all the tools they need to make it happen. The Bills almost beat the Patriots. Earlier this year, the Bills' defense was really good. They almost beat the Patriots. Their quarterback had a couple interceptions. Josh Allen, their QB, got hurt late. The Bills were unable to finish the job against the Patriots. The Jets, on the other hand, have the horses. They could finish the job. They could make it happen. Between quarterback Sam Darnold, who I like, who played really well last week, and then Adam Gase, the coach for the Jets, has a weird history of regularly beating the Patriots. He was the head coach with the Dolphins for a couple of years. He always had a way of finding a way to beat the Patriots. It seemed like every year, like, oh, the Patriots lost to the Dolphins? What the heck? Every year it happened. No matter who was a quarterback for Adam Gase, he finds a way to make it happen. I don't know if that's because he was in Miami and people go to Miami and it's hot and they're from New England and they cramp. Who knows what it is? But it's professional football. I don't think that would happen. Maybe. Maybe. 
Some people say that happens. They say Miami's kind of a trap game. There's distractions. It's hot. Did the Patriots really get distracted? I don't know. But for whatever reason, Adam Gase regularly finds a way to beat the Patriots. The Jets also run the ball really well with their running back, Le'Veon Bell. And the key is their defense. They have a defense that could stifle and frustrate the New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. So I think there's a chance that the Jets can beat the Patriots. Also, I'm very curious, by the way. Everyone keeps sending me comments. Tom Brady is, it's not, it's not Tom Brady's fault. It's the receivers. Tom Brady's receivers are bad, this and that. It's like, uh, Tom Brady's receivers are not bad. He does not have elite receivers. He doesn't have a, a Mike Evans or a DeAndre Hopkins or a Julio Jones. But don't blame the New England Patriots' problems on the receiver. You know, someone, a friend of mine was like, they have a guy named Jacoby Myers. He's not even good. I'm like, do you watch the Patriots at all? Jacoby Myers was a, a great storyline all through the preseason. Made a giant name for himself. He's from NC State. Jacoby Myers is the real deal. He's a real deal NFL receiver that the Patriots got as a steal in the draft. I know that you go, he was not, he was a steal, whatever. I don't think he was even drafted. Point is this. People look at where players come from and go, that guy must not be good. Jacoby Myers is a really good football player for the Patriots. But it's not just that. The Patriots also have, oh, by the way, Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon, <laughs> Philip Dorsett. They have good receivers. They're not great. They're not an elite receiving core. But don't, people got to stop telling me the Patriots have bad receivers. It's all the Patriots receiving core. Their offensive line is rough. Their offensive line is struggling this year, and that's why the Jets, I think, could beat the Patriots. But don't talk to me about the Patriots' receiving core. Not to mention they're going to get Nikhil Harry back midseason. I think week nine is when he's coming back. He's a first-round receiver. He was drafted last year. He's fantastic. Has great chemistry with Brady already. My point is this. Watch the game. Watch the Jets and the Patriots. I think it's going to be really fun. And there's a potential chance that the Jets upset the Patriots on Sunday. Guys, those are the games I'm excited to watch. There's six of them. It's going to be awesome. Enjoy Sunday. It's going to be so much fun. And we'll talk about those games next week. Okay, this will be brief because I'm not going to cut it out into a, a full clip and I don't want to talk. I just did a whole segment about games and previewing games. I don't want to do it again. But I do want to talk about three games in college football this weekend that are awesome. If you're listening to the podcast and you want something to do on Saturday, just check into these three games. The first game I want to talk about, number 12, Oregon, is at number 5, Washington, in Seattle. It's a great matchup. It's 1230 uh, on the West Coast time. It's in the middle of the day. It's on ABC. These are the two best teams in the Pac-12, in my opinion. Two premier quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason. It's going to be really fun. Watch that game. Also watch number 17, Arizona State, at number 13, Utah. I love, I love, I love Salt Lake City. It's a fun city to go to. Great place to visit. I don't know if I'd want to live there, but I really like visiting there. It's very pretty. That game's happening at 3 p.m. on West Coast time on Pac-12 Network. And uh, these are two really good teams. I'm not sure who's going to win. And that's what makes it fun. When you're not sure who's going to win a game, Arizona State or Utah, it's great. And this is also why the Pac-12 doesn't make it into the college football playoff. They consistently have so many good matchups, so many good games. They beat up on each other because there's no. they're all really kind of just middle and all really pretty solid. The Pac-12 beats up on each other every year. Nobody dominates it, and they don't make it in. But if you just watch Pac-12 football, and you don't care about the national, like what's going on nationally, dude, it's a great league. 
with good games that are close and intense and fun. And so I think it's a really fun game in the Pac-12 this week. Arizona State at Utah. Finally, in the Big Ten, you have number 16, Michigan, at number 7, Penn State. This is a, it's at 4.30 p.m. West Coast time. It's on ABC. I think Penn State wins this game, but Michigan is a wild card. What kind of Michigan team shows up? And can Penn State, a team I think that should win over Michigan, can, spend, can Penn State seal the deal and win a game they're supposed to win? I've talked about Penn State in the past, so they might be a team that could beat Ohio State later this year. They've been very impressive. It should be fun. Number 16, Michigan at number 7, Penn State on Saturday. It's going to be a blast. Those are the three games I'm excited to watch and follow this week in college football. Guys, I'm going to take a short break. Before I do, though, this is a topic I do every single episode. If you're struggling, please get help. Three years ago, my younger brother took his life. My younger brother, Zane, is now gone. It's sad. It's brutal. Uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I learned two heartbreaking and painful lessons through that experience. Number one is that my brother never asked for help. He never told anybody he was struggling, and he suffered in silence. So I encourage you, if you're having a hard time, reach out to people. Ask for help. If you're struggling, please go get help. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-825. The Suicide Hotline is one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. If you're struggling, please reach out to somebody. Go get help. One day I walked into my brother's room. He was dead on the floor. I had no idea it was coming. It's very, very sad. The other part, though, is, and the painful part is that I didn't do a good enough job reaching out to my brother. I didn't, you know, I, I could have done a better job saying, hey, I love you, man, and I'm here for you. If you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. So make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, that you care about them, that you're there for them. I know I do this same, if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, Zach, you do this every single episode. Yes, I do. It's the most meaningful thing I do. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, nothing, all I ask is that you make sure you tell the people in your life you love them, and you understand that if you're having a hard time, please reach out to other people in your life and go get help. Don't do what my brother did. It's the worst thing. It affects me every single day. It's horrible. It never goes away. I will always miss my little brother. It's very, very sad. Do not do that. Go get help. Tell the people in your life that you love them. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When I return, we have a couple random thoughts from the NFL. I'm going to do the closest thing I will possibly do to an NBA preview. We'll talk about the the nine storylines I'm really excited to watch in the NBA. It kicks off next week. And at the end of the show, we're going to do Ask Zach. It's a really good episode of Ask Zach. We're talking about... Who is the next dynasty in the NFL? We will talk about the referees. I've been very quiet about the refs. I finally have something to say. We'll talk about Dan Quinn, what's going wrong with the Falcons. We'll talk about Jake Fromm. There's one other. Oh, we'll talk about the NFL trade deadline. It's a really good episode of Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. All that stuff is coming up. My name is Zach. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to share a couple notes I took this week. There are a bunch of smaller items that I couldn't make into their own topics. So I'm going to put them all together. And uh, I'm actually, you know, I wrote it and I was very surprised. Like, oh, wow, this flows really well together into the next thing. And so I want to start with this. Kyle Allen and Teddy Bridgewater are both 4-0. The Panthers backup Kyle Allen. The Saints start uh, backup technically starting quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater backup starter, whatever he is. He's starting now. They're both 4-0 as starters replacing Cam Newton and Drew Brees. 
And uh, not only is that impressive and I'm happy for both guys, it's really funny to watch this situation, how it's evolved. And the contrast in reaction in the cities these guys play in. Both backups have been amazing. Like both backups have done such a good job leading their team, carrying their team to victory. And it shows either how incredible Drew Brees' legacy is or how far Cam Newton has followed. The city of Carolina is in a hurry to replace Cam Newton. And they're like, Kyle Allen's great. He's getting the job done. He's not incredible, but we're happy. He's finally playing the quarterback position with some consistency. We've wanted that for years. People, people are ready to get rid of Cam Newton just like that. Nobody's talking about Drew Brees. Nobody. And for good reason. Like Drew Brees' legacy is incredible. And it's just interesting how nobody's even mentioned, like, should Teddy Bridgewater start when Drew Brees come back? Because it's unfathomable. No one could ever possibly say that. Drew Brees is a legend, a Hall of Famer. And it's not that, I'm not saying that we should talk about whether or not Drew Brees should play. My point is it's interesting that no, nobody, not a single person in the media is even mentioning that because it's idiotic to imagine Drew Brees not coming back and being a starter. Because it's, it's just not a, it's just funny to me. You'd think some idiot on TV somewhere would say that. Should Teddy be the guy? And no one even dares go near it because it's so obvious how dumb that is. I thought it was funny and wanted to point that out. And then Kyle Allen replaces Cam. They're 4-0. Replaces Cam Newton. And it's wild, but I'm on I'm on team Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen is playing really, really well. Very consistently bringing a lot of stability to the quarterback position in Carolina. I take him over Cam Newton. In my mind, in Carolina, he's the guy. Long term. I'm done with Cam. And that leads me to my next note, which is that the Bears quarterbacks are really, really bad. Chase Daniel is whatever, he's a backup. But Mitchell Trubisky, I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, from his same draft class, Patrick Mahomes is doing great. And Deshaun Watson's doing fantastic. And Mitchell Trubisky, we just keep waiting. We keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And he's just a mess. He's not good. I know it's only year two. It's a little early to say this. But the reason why I'm bringing this up now and not giving... Mitchell Trubisky, more time to develop is that there are two guys available right now in the NFL. Marcus Mariota, he just got benched, and Cam Newton. And the Bears had better pull the trigger and make a move for one of those two guys. I know that's unconventional, but Marcus Mariota and Matt Nagy's offense would be incredible. I know. Look, I I prefer Marcus Mariota. I think he'd be better with the Bears. I know he, he failed in Tennessee. It didn't work. It did not work. But he also never had a great head coach and never, excuse me, a great offensive coordinator. Never had a great coach on offense. And the Bears head coach, Matt Nagy, is an offensive genius. The systems he runs are, and the the schemes he runs, the plays designed he has are like, oh my gosh, you're creating great matchups over and over and over again for your quarterback. And the Bears quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, cannot take advantage of of those matchups and the play design of Matt Nagy because he either misses guys wide open, he doesn't understand his system, or he's slow to pick reads. He just regularly is not good enough, and it drives me nuts. I hate watching it. And so I'm telling you now, the Bears better make a play at Marcus Mariota or Cam Newton. It's 
the move they got to make. It's what I would do if I was the Bears. I think Marcus Mariota would fit really well with the Bears. You don't need to create, like, you don't need to ask a lot of Marcus Mariota in Chicago if he's the Bears quarterback. Design an offense the same way you've done for Mitchell Trubisky, and I guarantee you, Mariota can do better than Trubisky has. It drives me nuts. I hate watching him. And I just think, man, you gotta, you gotta pull the trigger. Now, I look at the Browns right now. I look around at the Browns, and um, Odell Beckham Jr. is struggling. He's had some drops, and people are ready to, oh, man, it's, it's just not good in, in Cleveland. They're losing games. And uh, the Browns' offensive line is really bad. Very, very bad. And it's very interesting to look back on what happened this offseason with the Bears and the Giants. The Bears, excuse me, the Browns. The Browns and the Giants. <laughs> the Browns and the Giants made two trades. And at the end of those trades, the Browns ended up with Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon, a defensive end. Receiver and a defensive end. They got those guys from the Giants. And the Giants got from the Browns, Kevin Zeitler, an offensive lineman, a first-round draft pick, and a former first-round draft pick, Jabril Peppers. He's now the Giants' starting safety. Right now, the Giants look really, really smart trading away Odell Beckham Jr. And the Browns look really dumb giving up an offensive lineman when their number one problem is offensive line. They don't need a receiver. They have, they have, <laughs> they have Jarvis Landry. And honestly, Odell Beckham Jr. has been underwhelming. Dropping passes, had a fumble. It's, it, we're ju- it's just not impressive. I don't know. If, it, it could be. When I watch film, I don't really love the way the Browns are using Odell Beckham Jr. But also, it's just more and more glaringly clear they need offensive linemen. They had one, and they got rid of one. And everybody in New York, all the New York sports fans were so angry and PO'd, and all those angry New York sports fans were wrong when the Giants got rid of Odell Beckham Jr., I talked about it in my film analysis of Eli Manning. said he's not great. I got a lot of pushback. I said trading away OBJ is good for the Giants, and uh, people did not like that. Well, 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 well. Uh, he's losing games with the Giants, or with the Browns, excuse me. The Browns got an offensive lineman. It's paid off really well for them. And so I just think when you look back on the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, you go, Mm, the Giants won. I don't like that. I know in Madden it doesn't make sense to trade away Odell Beckham Jr., but this is not Madden. The Giants won the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Now, there are rumors that the Browns are trying to trade for Trent Williams, the Redskins' left tackle. Trent Williams is currently holding out, and uh, he does not want to play for the Redskins. I don't blame him at all. And if the Browns were able to trade for Trent Williams, it'd be a huge move for them. They need offensive linemen. It would help them. It'd be a great move for their franchise. It would solve a lot of problems. It's harder to win with three bad offensive linemen than it is with two. With two, you can hide it, call certain plays, certain directions, and it's okay. When you have three bad offensive linemen, you're just screwed. It's over. Right now, the Browns are just screwed, and it's over. They can get Trent Williams. Bam. That's a big move for them. Now, the Redskins don't want to part ways with Trent Williams. They're an idiotically horribly run franchise. 
And I know that Trent Williams is holding out, and a lot of people are concerned, well, if Trent Williams doesn't want to play for the Redskins, why would he want to play for the Browns? They're 2-4. and four, They're a bad team. I know you can see potential parallels between the Browns and the Redskins if you look at just their records. But the Redskins' front office and their organization is awful. And Trent Williams' issues with the medical staff and with their upper management in Washington with the Redskins, his problem is not about anything other than I hate the Redskins. I hate the way they run. I hate their medical staff. I hate their front office. Yeah, if you trade for Trent Williams, he's going to play for the Browns. He just doesn't want to play for the Redskins. That's the problem. It's not whatever issues you want to make up. The problem with Trent Williams, the reason why he wants out, and I can't blame him at all, is he wants to get out of Washington. And here's what's funny. You know, the, the last note I had and this is why I, you know, I was, I'm very proud how it all kind of nightly, I, I took a bunch of weird topics that I didn't think they were going to work out and they all kind of led nicely into the next one. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is the 49ers head coach. And if you know the backstory, he spent time as the Redskins offensive coordinator in Washington. Also his dad, Mike Shanahan was the head coach of the Redskins for a long time. And he coached with, you know, in Washington, here are the coaches that have been through Washington. It's pretty remarkable. <laughs> Sean McVay, Jay Gruden, who I like, Matt LaFleur, and Kyle Shanahan. Four guys who uh, all were head coaches other places, including, well, I guess, if you count, three guys who went on to be head coaches other places, not to mention Jay Gruden, who I think just got beat down by a whole franchise. If he went somewhere else, I think he could succeed. I don't know if anybody will ever give Jay Gruden a chance, but I think Jay Gruden is a head coach that can win. He just dealt with a lot of bad. But the narrative is not about Jay Gruden. The narrative here is about how bad the Redskins are. In an interview, when Kyle Shanahan was asked about his favorite moment and favorite memory with the Redskins, his answer was, I loved being able to work with my dad and be around some other good coaches. <laughs> when he was asked what, his, what the worst part about being with the Redskins was, he said, everything else. I loved being with my dad and other great coaches. What was the worst part? Everything else. <laughs> and he did go on to clarify. He said, look, I, you know, I also worked with a lot of good players, good people. I liked them. And you know, Kyle Shannon also in 2017, in August, in an interview, he said, he was talking about the Redskins. He said, I was proud of the work I did there, especially under the circumstances that weren't the easiest. Stuff I think everyone can figure out on their own. It's just more evidence. The Redskins organization is a mess. And ownership and upper management is the problem. Dan Snyder, if you ever get off your high horse and watch this YouTube video, you're failing. You got to look in the mirror. You are the problem. All right. Let's not move on to the NBA. Dude, I'm drinking this drink. It makes me so happy. It's not, it's not alcoholic. No, it's not water. It's not soda. I found a drink that just works for me. And a specific company that makes it exactly how I like it. I'm trying to get them to sponsor me. I'm so happy. But uh, yeah, man, I just, uh, I, this, it, just, it just works for me. It makes my brain happy. It just, everything works for me. <clears throat> Probably sounds weird, my brain happy. Again, it's not mind-altering at all. It's just like, I just, it makes me happy because I've been wanting a drink to take out with my friends. When I don't like alcohol very much. I'm not a soda guy. 
Like I wanted a drink too that I can have on the show or that I can drink while I work on the show and watch film or that I can take out with my friends at a bar and say hi to people and watch at football games with my friends and at parties when we go out or my friends' houses. Like I found the drink that works for me and I ain't telling anybody what it is until they get back to me and sponsor me because I really, I want to be able to say like, this is it. They pay me. So if you're a fan of me and my development as a human, as a business owner, root for that, that I, they finally get back to me and allow me to sponsor, allow, you know, they sponsor me because I really want that. And I want to be able to tell people what the company I'm talking about is because they do such a good job. You know, I really love their product. On October 22nd, the NBA regular season will begin. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm known for football. I'm excited to watch the NBA this year. I, I love the storylines. I, I love basketball. I grew up playing basketball. And I know that I've become a, an, NBA, uh, an NFL-focused podcast. But I, that's not the only thing I want to talk about. I love basketball. I want to talk about it. And uh, I, I've done a lot of talking with my friends who play college basketball to learn. I want to learn the game. I want to get better at it. So I want to talk about the nine storylines that I am excited to watch this year in the NBA. Number one is Los Angeles. The LA Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard of all people, Kyle Kuzma, Rajon Rondo. They have a fun player. They have Giannis, uh, Giannis's brother, Costas. The Lakers are a weird assembly of players that I think are going to do well around the rim, but really just big names that you go, oh, like, all right, Dwight, like Dwight Howard. Who would have thought he'd ever come back to L.A.? But it should be fun. And the reason why I highlight the Lakers is because the Lakers' battle against the Clippers for supremacy in L.A. is going to be so much fun to observe and watch. I think the Clippers are a better team. The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly. He's a scrappy guard. I really love him. I'm a fan of him. If Landry Shamet, who's a and it's not Sham, it's not Shamet, it's Shamet, who's a second-year guard for the Clippers. He's kind of a rising player. They also have Lou Williams. Both LA teams have big names that I know and I'm familiar with, and I'm excited to watch the two of them duke it out. And I hope, I really hope that, you know, it becomes a fun rivalry. I do. I can admit the Clippers are better. And I want that, you know, I want the Clippers and Lakers to become a really fun rivalry you can watch for maybe the next couple of years in LA. It'd be really, really fun. The second thing I'm excited for is the Boston Celtics. I love, love the Boston Celtics head coach, Brad Stevens. And here's the reason why I'm pumped. They added point guard Kemba Walker. Kyrie Irving, the former point guard for the Boston Celtics, he left and he never quite fit. I think his problem was he didn't like Brad Stevens getting more attention and his he overshadowed Kyrie Irving as the star of the franchise. Well, hey, uh, there's no ego with Kemba Walker. He just wants to win games. He has not been on a winning franchise really at all in his career. He's going to be happy to be in Boston. He's going to be happy to play for Brad Stevens. And I think the Celtics are a better team than people recognize or give them credit for. They have Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Enos Cantor, and now they have Kemba Walker, a guy who's never been in a big market. He's never gotten as much attention as I think he deserves. He's on a good team in a great basketball city, Boston. I think Kemba could shine this year for the Boston Celtics. Uh, now, there is a fun Celtics player I want to highlight. It's Taco Fall. 
seven foot six. He's just massive. He's a rookie. He's got a fun personality. A lot of people send me messages like taco fall to be the, and the word is goat. I think goat is a silly word, but it's fun to like, Oh, taco fall. He's this goofy looking six foot, uh, seven foot six guy. So seven foot six. Yeah. You heard that right. He's incredibly tall, gigantic human. Eh, we'll see if he gets any playing time this year. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are a team I'm excited to watch for one reason and one reason alone. It's their young player, Trey Young. I want to watch his development. Young player, Trey Young. It's funny. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to do that. Uh, does he progress? That's what I'm curious about. Some people say that he could be kind of like the next Steph Curry because he's, he's got this ability to shoot really deep three-pointers. I don't think there's ever going to be another Steph Curry. But I'm excited. You know, he's entering year two. Does he get better? Do we see more from him? Does he does he develop at all as a player? And is he getting a little bigger? I, I haven't. I don't know. But I'm excited to watch the product that Trey Young puts on the floor this year, and evaluate his trajectory as a player, his upward trajectory. Does he keep going up? Does he plateau? Is he never really? Does he kind of fizzle out? And never become the player we want? Who knows? But it, he's entertaining, and it's going to be really fun to watch. So I'm excited to watch the Hawks. I know that's a team nobody cares about. I do. I want to watch Trey Young. Number four, the team I'm excited to watch is the Pelicans, man. The Pelicans with Zion Williamson. Uh, My question with him is, is he ready to be an NBA star? Based on the preseason, probably. His stats have been historic. He's doing a lot of good stuff. But it is really rare for a guy to come into the league at 19 years old and instantly become an all-star. How often does that happen? Like Le- like LeBron? Like it just It's very rare. It happens from time to time. I'm curious if Zion is that kind of guy or not. But it's really going to be fun to watch him grow. I like the Pelicans' young roster. They have Zion. They have Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, J.J. Redick, Josh Hart, Drew Holiday. So it's really a bunch of young players and then J.J. Redick. And to me, that's fun. I can't wait to see what happens. We could observe the beginning of something cool happening in New Orleans this year. And uh, either way, it's intriguing because it's a young team on a journey. They're going to have ups and downs. And I look forward to following and covering the Pelicans this year. I really am. I think it's going to be fun and exciting. And so uh, I'm excited to watch them. Number five, my question for the 76ers is, will they deliver? Can they deliver? The Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard, so the Eastern Conference, their roadblock is now out of the way and gone. Because they came up short last year. The 76ers came up short of their goal. And I wonder, can they get to the finals? Like, I, I, like I'm not, I don't care about the regular season at all. There's two teams that I just want to watch what they become at the end of the year. The 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks. The 76ers first because... Again, the roadblock's gone, and the pressure's on. This is their roster. Their roster's awesome. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Tobias Harris, and Josh Richardson. Dude, you have five, five really good premier players, superstars. Some of them aging, some of them young, on the rise. But your starting five is incredible in Philadelphia. If you can't get to the finals and if you don't dominate the regular season, it's a failure. I don't, I don't like saying that, but man, expectations are really, really high in Philadelphia, as they should be. And my question is, can this team and will this team be able to finish 
down the stretch. I don't know. Will they get hurt? Will they fall apart? Who knows? I'm excited to watch it, though. It'll be fun. Another fun storyline with the 76ers is will their point guard, Ben Simmons, develop a jump shot? I've been saying this for years. I get a lot of hate when I say it, but I'm honest about it. The dude can't shoot. He doesn't shoot three-pointers. He, he can do, like, I, I just, I, every time I watch him, I get more and more curious. When will he develop a three-point shot he's comfortable shooting in a game? I just, I see videos of it sometimes, and I go, where is that in a game? Is this the year that he develops a three-point shot? Who knows, but I'm excited to watch Ben Simmons. Number six, the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, man. Um, it comes back to, you know, they have Chris Middleton. They have George Hill, Eric Bledsoe. All the attention, though, should go to Giannis. He's a, he won MVP last year. This will be brief. I just want to know, can Giannis take his team farther in the playoffs? Has this team hit their ceiling? Or can Giannis flex his muscles and somehow improve even more and carry his team that much farther in the NBA playoffs? I don't think so. I think his team is maxed out. That's what I'm excited to see from the Milwaukee Bucks. Number seven, the Houston Rockets are fun and weird. And I don't know that it's going to work. James Harden is teamed up with Russell Westbrook. These are two ball-dominant guards on one team. There's only one basketball to share between the two of them. And I I think, personally, this is a recipe for disaster. I don't think it's going to work at all. But it will be interesting. It will be fun. And I credit the Rockets GM, Daryl Morey. Uh, The Rockets will not win a championship this year. They will not probably ever under Daryl Morey. But what he does really well is creates a product that is fun that I want to see. The people of Houston love their basketball team. They're exciting. They win. They're consistently good. That's what Daryl Morey provides. Kind of reminds me of the Houston, the Portland Trailblazers, actually. The Portland Blazers are regularly good. It's regularly an interesting product, not as interesting as the Rockets. I think this year the Rockets are just a fascinating mess that I can't wait to watch. But credit Daryl Moore. He always puts out a team that is fun to watch, and I'm, I'm excited to watch the Rockets this year. And just, it's like a science experiment. What the heck is going to happen? Is it going to explode and just be a horrible mess, or will it work? I don't know. I'm excited to find out. The Golden State Warriors, uh, they have no Kevin Durant. They have no Clay Thompson. He's out towards ACL. But they still have, and people act like the Warriors are down and out. They're nothing. They still have, not only do they have Kevin Durant, they have, <laughs> excuse me, not only do they have Draymond Green, they added D'Angelo Russell, they have Steph Curry. Steph Curry? Yeah, like, does that not mean anything? A team that was a super team, right? The Warriors were lauded and criticized repeatedly all the time. This team is too good. I hate how good the Warriors are. Then they lose Kevin Durant. They replace him with D'Angelo Russell. They lose uh, Clay Thompson. Just for a little bit. He's out with a uh, torn ACL. And everyone says, oh, the Warriors are trash. They're going to suck. It's like, what a weird emotional swing. I don't understand that at all. Technically, they still have a big three. It doesn't have Clay. It has D'Angelo Russell instead. But then eventually when Clay comes back, they'll have a big four again. The Warriors are not awful. I don't understand why people aren't paying attention to them more. Um... But I, not only are, when they add Clay, they're going to be incredible. I have a lot of faith in the Warriors. I have a lot of faith in Steph Curry. And I think that people have got to pay a little more attention to them. 
the last number nine, the last team that I am really excited to watch and just fascinated is the Brooklyn Nets. They do not have Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant, they, they, they added Kevin Durant. They signed him in free agency, but he has a torn Achilles. He's not going to play this year for the first part. Maybe not at all. They haven't ruled him out entirely. He might come back like in March, <laughs> April, maybe the end of the year. But for now, it's just Kyrie Irving on the Brooklyn Nets. That's the guy they just added also in free agency. And I am very, very concerned with the way things are going to play out in Brooklyn. Kyrie and Kevin Durant have been incredibly insecure their entire careers. Kyrie Irving especially. uh, Kevin Durant on social media, he's a mess. He can't handle whatever. Here's what Kyrie Irving has done in his history. He got traded out of Cleveland because I think he struggled with LeBron overshadowing him and getting more attention. And then he left Boston because he didn't like the head coach, Brad Stevens, getting more attention. And whatever reason, for for whatever reason, I don't know, for whatever reason, Kyrie Irving in Boston didn't work, which is shocking to me because Brad Stevens, their head coach, is incredible. If I'm Kyrie Irving, I want to play for Kyrie, but I think he decided, okay, all my success is being attributed to my coach rather than my ability for my brand. I got to get out of here so that I get credit and can continue the upward trajectory of my brand. Kyrie Irving's brand is going to be good this year for the first half when he's playing alone. He's the only star on the nets and he's carrying or maybe not. I don't think, I don't think he can carry a team, but he's playing for the, a team in New York. He's the only star. It's going to be really good for him. But my question is what happens when Kevin Durant comes back? What happens when Kevin Durant joins the fold? Whose team will it be? Because it's been Kyrie's turn team all year. Suddenly does the team shift over to Kevin Dur- Like Whose team is it? I don't know. You can't tell me there's not a problem coming up for the Brooklyn Nets and drama that will ensue between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. There's no way the two of them can share that responsibility. They're both incredibly insecure and I am I I I don't think it's I just man I don't think it's going to work. Not to mention here's another part. They're in New York. New York with a bunch of crazy insane sports fans. I love them. I would love to be the local New York guy cuz it's fun and there's passion. There's also a lot of irrational people in New York. You're going to you can't tell me that Kyrie and Kevin Durant are going to love dealing with the New York media. Where, man, it's not Oklahoma City. It's not Cleveland. You got a lot of cameras. And I know they're coming from the Bay Area and from Boston. But New York is a different beast altogether. I have friends who are journalists there. Oh, my gosh, man. It's a a different animal. And crazy New York sports fans are going to be begging for Kevin Durant to come back. They're not going to understand because New York sports fans are irrational. I love you. I love you guys, but you're kind of irrational and crazy. You thought Daniel Jones was a horrible pick, and now he's your starting quarterback, and you love him. But delusional sports fans in New York are not going to understand that Kevin Durant's injury is keeping him out. He tore his Achilles. He can't play. They're going to demand for him to come back. When he does, he's going to create problems. And uh, I I just think there's a a mess coming in Brooklyn. Those are the nine NBA storylines I'm excited to watch this year. Uh, I want to give an honorable mention to the Dallas Mavericks. I love their... Young guys, Luka Doncic and uh, Kristaps Porzingis. I'm excited to watch them. 
I'm curious to see how that team develops. So I guess you could say there are, are, are 11 teams I'm curious to watch, nine storylines there, maybe 10. Uh, but that is what I think of the NBA. That's what I'm excited to watch this year. It's going to be a great NBA season, and I just, uh, I'm a fan, man. I love the product they put out every year. There's drama, there's storylines, there's interest, there's good plays, there's highlights that are fun. I love watching basketball, and uh, I know people don't think I do. I do. I'm a basketball guy, and uh, I'm excited to enjoy the year this year. Okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach, and that's it. We'll do Ask Zach. We'll talk about the refs. We'll talk about Jake Fromm. Who is the next NFL dynasty? What's wrong with the Atlanta Falcons? And we will talk about the NFL trade deadline. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Oh, right, we are back. It's time for Ask Zach. This is the segment I do at the end of every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. Uh, You can donate more if you want. It really helps. That's how I pay my bills, literally. Uh, But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And I only accept questions on Patreon. That's how I do it. Um, And I will not guarantee that if you send in a question, I will read it on the show. But I do guarantee I will look at it with my eyeballs. I look at every single question. And then I pick the best couple at the end of, you know, every episode and talk about them at the show. And it's, it's fun. It's my favorite segment. A lot of people have said that even though they don't donate money, they still love listening to it. It's been a huge success in my opinion. Um, I'm very happy with, I love doing it. I get to interact with people. Um, not as look, it's, there's 280 of you right now. I think maybe more now today. And I, I, I try to send messages to you guys and interact with as many as I can. It's a lot of people to stay in touch with, but your questions are awesome. They mean a lot to me. They're very valuable. And uh, let's start with Brendan's. Brendan wrote in and said, Hey, Zach, I know it's a common excuse, but I'm a Lions fan, and I really believe the refs had an impact on the outcome of the game on Monday Night Football against the Packers. I'm sure you watched the game. While the Lions could have and should have done more like capitalizing on red zone trips with touchdowns instead of field goals, I believe the Lions played well enough to beat the Packers. Did the refs screw the Lions in the end? What are your thoughts on the referees lately? I know they're humans, but it's getting bad. Thanks, and congratulations on your recent success. Brendan, I love this question, and uh, everybody in the world, I get so many comments and messages, and frankly, ask Zach questions about the refs. Like, Zach, when are you going to talk about the refs? Fine, I'll do it. I'm not sure what people want me to say about the referees. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> do they want me to compile a giant list of examples when the refs have screwed up in a game? I mean, do they want me to just say they're bad? Because they are bad. It has been bad. I acknowledge. It's obvious. But also, we've been paying attention way more than normal to the refs. When have we ever spent this much time in a season dedicated to the refs? And when have we spent ever before this much time in an off season dedicated to the refs? The way the year ended last year with the Saints and the Rams, the second to last game of the year, had a gigantic controversial call. A missed pass interference call. What should have been pass interference absolutely was missed. And then for like eight months, we talked about it. <laughs> and so more than ever before, there's a focus on the refs. And then the NFL made a change. After that game, the Saints game where the missed pass interference call happened, people freaked out. The NFL is terrible. This should not be allowed to happen. So the NFL responded. They made a change. They said, okay, 
We'll give you what you want. And now people are kind of getting what they deserve. <laughs> they got to change to the rule. You can now challenge that call. Refs are imperfect. Refs are human beings. So we now have created a system in the NFL where you can challenge judgment calls. We <laughs> literally, literally highlight in slow motion. On national television, we highlight the moments where refs screw up. We highlight bad calls because we can challenge them. And of course, that makes referees look bad. Like, hello, I mean, whenever you highlight someone's big mistake on national TV in slow motion, it looks really bad. If you highlighted every mistake I ever made on this show where I misspeak or I forget a name or I miss an edit, like whatever, whatever you want, right? You highlighted a video of all those and put them, played them in slow motion on national TV, I'd look like an idiot. Because <laughs> I say a lot of dumb stuff. I make mistakes. The difference is now every mistake is magnified on a giant screen. So of course, of course the refs look bad. Also, the rule was created to prevent heinous, horrible mistakes from being made. The rule was created to protect teams like the Saints from losing that way. And I, I'm, I'm seeing, though, a lot of coaches are throwing refs on like contentious, controversial calls that are like, that's not obvious. That's really hard to tell. It's not clear whether that's pass interference or not. So, of course, they're going to screw that one up because the rule isn't created for a really close, intense pass interference. It's created to solve the problem of when there's a really horrible missed call, we can fix that. And I, I think we're still figuring out, coaches are still figuring out when it's okay to challenge. And like, Remember when, when challenges were first brought into the NFL? When challenges at all, when replay challenges with red flags were first thrown into the game, everybody hated it. And coaches didn't understand how to use it. They couldn't figure it out. They wasted a lot of, a lot of people wasted flags early on. I saw a comment on YouTube that said, want to lose a challenge in a timeout? Challenge a pass interference call. Well, you could have said the same thing years ago when challenges were brought into the game at all. No one really knew how to use them because it's a new system. And we're all figuring out this new thing, this new reality with challengeable pass interference calls. Of course it's bad. Nobody knows what they're doing yet. We got to acclimate to the situation. In you know a couple more weeks, it'll, it'll slow down and coaches will learn, hey, uh, that one's really close. It's not obvious. Let's not throw a challenge because it's hard to tell. Only throw a challenge flag if it's blatant and obvious. And look, yes, refs are screwing up at the end of games, making bad calls that hurt teams' ability to win. Yes, refs are screwing up big time. However, they've been doing that for years. And people have been complaining about refs for years. This is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> people complaining about referees and referees making bad calls and screwing up. The cycle happens all the time. Again, the difference is now we're highlighting it. Here's the truth, though. I lost a game on national TV in high school. It was embarrassing. It was bad. There was a controversial call. Look up River Skyview blocked kick. We were on, come on, man. We were on the world's worst. We were on not top 10 for three months. We beat the butt fumble. It was horrifying. And we blocked their field goal. They picked it up and ran for a touchdown. And one referee blew the whistle. Another ref let the play go on. So they won the game. We lost. And in the locker room after the game, we're all 
horrified and confused and frustrated and mad because we lost on a really bad call, what we felt was like a really bad call by the refs. Whether you whether it's true or not, the feeling in the locker room was we got hosed by the refs. I don't actually like looking back on that situation, I don't think they were wrong. I think we just were we were wrong. I think the refs did the right thing. But in the locker room, we felt that way. Here's the message our coach told us when we felt screwed over by the refs. He said, let's be honest here. If you win that game by two touchdowns, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't allow referees to control a game. It just, you know, yes, refs screw up. But I hate when people lean on referees as excuses. I do. Because I've been on the side of a loss that felt unfair like the refs screwed us over. National TV, not top 10. Come on, man. It was my first varsity start. I had a touchdown with 30 seconds left. I was like, dude, I'm a god. My first touchdown pass, my first varsity start, I had a come from behind victory in the fourth quarter where I drove our team down the field and that got robbed from me. I was furious. But I also missed a lot of opportunities. I'll throw on third down. I think I had a fumble. I had, you know, I had moments where I screwed up. You can always find a way to blame the refs, but you also got to look inward and say, hey, players can have a better day too. Throws on third down. Fewer mental mistakes. Do not let the referees have control of a game. The minute you let the refs have control at the end of a game, then it's on you. That's my take on this whole referee thing. It's going to smooth out. It's gonna so- We're going to figure it out. Coaches are going to figure out when there's a chance that it was winnable. Like They're going to throw the flag when it's really a winnable scenario. And they're still figuring out what a winnable scenario looks like in a pass interference challengeable situation. And refs are going to get better. It's just a new thing. And whenever you make a change, people hate it. That's just, people hate change, period. And changes require time. You got to figure it out and, and really learn, okay, this works better here. This works better here. So everyone just relax. Have some patience. I know that people are, people are furious about the refs. We're paying way more attention than ever before. And it's going think, to, I think, honestly, over time, it's going to solve, the problem's going to solve itself. Okay, uh, Zach wrote in. Zach, I love your name, man. He says, hey, Zach, do you think Jake Fromm may stay a senior year like Justin Herbert did, especially if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, since we usually see one, of, one quarterback do this every year? So Jake Fromm is the quarterback at Georgia, and yes, he should stay for his senior year. I think it'd be really bad if he left. Uh, I, I get it. If he wants to go, he's like, I'm a first-round pick, and I don't want to risk my stock dropping off. Um, but I'd be really disappointed in his confidence in himself if he said, I'm going to go to the NFL now and take the money because I'm afraid my stock is going to fall off. You're afraid you're going to do bad next year? Like, you're, Are you not confident in your ability? Uh, first of all, Jake Fromm has unfinished business at Georgia. They lost this year to South Carolina, and I think they can do better. And that's how college football works is once you lose one game, your year is pretty much over. He also needs to continue developing as a quarterback. Jake Fromm, uh, I heard a scary stat, and I don't know what to make of this stat yet, but he's 0-5 in games where he throws the ball more than 30 times. It could mean nothing. It could be, well, you know, uh, the reason why he's throwing the ball so much in those games is because he's losing, and he's trying to come from behind. Uh, you could also say, you know, well, he's throwing the ball when... You know, they have no running game. And you can say, well, it's concerning because Jake Fromm throwing the ball means you lose. So there's a lot of ways you can mince it. And really, that statistic can be skewed any way you want. 
I love, love, love Jake Fromm. He's a great quarterback uh, in every sense of that word. He's a great leader who I think rallies the people around him and who says the right stuff, who has a good spirit I like. I really like Jake Fromm. I'm a big fan of his. But physically, he's very, very average. He's not, doesn't have the biggest arm. Like Jacob Eason, the former Georgia quarterback, who's probably going to be first-round pick, has a way bigger arm than Jake Fromm. Not even close. Not even close. And I personally need to see more progression from Jake Fromm before I'm comfortable saying he's a first-round pick. I, I want to see him play another year and get a little bit better. He lost to South Carolina because he couldn't handle the frustration of not having offensive success. His offense was struggling. And the way he handled that was he began forcing throws into coverage when they weren't there. He had a really ugly pick six. And he needs to learn from that. He needs to take what the defense gives him and be more patient. And there are a lot of little tiny lessons like that that Jake Fromm needs to learn before he's ready to be a professional quarterback. So I, I think he should stay. I think he's much better suited if he stays in college rather than going earlier to the NFL. Okay, uh, Lucas wrote, wrote in, wrote in, wrote in, English is hard. I, that's, I, lo- I love that I can say that because every time I screw up on the show, I just go, eh, you know, English is hard, man. It's difficult. <laughs> As if like that's a real excuse. It is though. It's hard to talk for. The, the timer says a minute, an hour, 21 seconds. It'll be shorter than that. Uh, but anyways, Lucas writes in because I don't pause the recording when I take a break and walk away. I literally walk away. Everything keeps running. I just, that's a little secret. I go to the bathroom, records it all. Uh, I just cut it out. You can't hear it. And my bathroom's far away. You can't hear. I admit to stop talking. You don't need to know these details. <laughs> but for the record, <laughs> the camera couldn't pick up me peeing if it wanted to. It's too far away. The microphone isn't. It can't pick up a sound that loud enough. The camera's facing the wrong way. It doesn't matter. I said I was done. I'm done. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> That might be one of my favorite moments I've ever had on the show where I'm like, I'm like talking too much about this thing that concerns and confuses me and I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Lucas writes in, he says, Hey Zach, love the show. My question is, who do you see being the NFL's next dynasty once Brady and Belichick are done in New England? Uh, First of all, there is no next New England Patriots dynasty. No one else is going to do what they've done. Bill Belichick has been with the Patriots, been with the Patriots for 20 years. And, you know, you only hear of dominance like that in high school. Like, is this modern-day high school New England? Like, the, the modern-day Patriots? Because that's, that's the only... High school's the only place where you hear of a coach who's been somewhere for 20 years, who's won six championships, been to nine... Sometimes you hear college coaches, but even Nick Saban's not been that dominant. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable what the Patriots have done at this level. They've also been to the AFC Championship 13 times, which means that four of the years they didn't make the Super Bowl, they still were in the game to get into the Super Bowl. They were a game away. Belichick and Brady's run has been incredible. And and nobody ever, 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 ever is going to repeat it. But I know that wasn't the question. The question was, who is the next dynasty? And my answer is, I don't think there is another next dynasty. I think the NFL has changed its salary so much and players are so much more aware and they know their worth. You're not going to be able to build another team that can win Super Bowls back-to-back or have a consistent run like that. No matter who your quarterback is, no matter what happens. You're never going to see another player like Tom Brady 
who takes a pay cut to win. I thought the best chance of this happening was Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson didn't. Dak Prescott won't. Aaron Rodgers didn't. Patrick Mahomes will not. Carson Wentz didn't. Drew Brees didn't. Not only are quarterbacks making more and more than ever before, exorbitant amounts, taking far more of the salary cap than I think they should. You're not, you also got to pay your other guys more. Guys like Khalil Mack. Running backs are making record contracts. Every contract I hear seems like a new record contract because players, again, understand their worth and their value. You can't keep players on your team. Jalen Ramsey just got traded from the Jaguars because they didn't want to pay him what he wanted. And so you're going to see consistent good teams. You're going to see teams like the Seahawks have a good culture. They've been consistently good over the years, but they haven't been a dynasty that's dominated. But the Seahawks have won at different times over the years with Pete Carroll because of their culture. The word is culture. The way you win consistently in the NFL, and really in anything, in sports, in business, in life, in literally anything, the way you're consistently good for a long time is with culture. However, the way you consistently win Super Bowls is great rosters and talent. How do the Dallas Cowboys or the Steelers in the 70s or... The 49ers, how did teams consistently win multiple Super Bowls in a row or back-to-back-to-back? Had a ton of talent. And you can't keep a ton of talent around together anymore. Because guys understand, I can make $57 million guaranteed over there with that team who's not as good. And I'm going to go get that. You can't build a dynasty on just culture. You also need stars. And we're not going to see a team be able to bring together stars the way teams... I I think of Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys. That's never going to happen again. It's not. You can try. And it might work for one year. The Rams last year had a giant collection of talent. But it lasted one year and it fizzled out and fell apart. And nobody else... This is the... This is the amazing thing about the New England Patriots, why they're so impressive. They have won Super Bowls without the talent. The Patriots are the only team in NFL history, and I think the only team ever that will be able to do this because of the stars aligned with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. It's just an incredible situation we will never, ever, 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 ever see again. This is why when I talked about the Patriots at the beginning of the year, I said, appreciate Tom Brady. Appreciate Drew Brees but especially appreciate Tom Brady because you're never, ever going to see this again. There's a reason. I'm going to Cincinnati on December 16th, I believe, to go watch the Patriots and the Bengals because I want to see Tom. I don't have, really have the money for that, but I don't care. I already I bought it. I paid for it. I want to go see Tom Brady play before he retires because I might never, ever, ever again get the chance to see Tom Brady play live. And I want to see that happen because I understand and respect that it's a special thing we'll never, ever be able to see again. This is why the Patriots are special. They didn't need stars. The Patriots have won with culture and culture alone. Culture. Guys bought into their system. They were coachable. They paid attention. You'll never, ever see another team ever in your lifetime win six Super Bowls. Go to nine because guys bought into the system and they didn't need star players. They didn't need a bunch of pro bowlers because guys did their job at an extremely elite level of 
doing your job. You will never, ever see that ever again. There's not another dynasty coming. There's not another New England Patriots. That is why the Patriots are so special and why we will never see their success ever again. Uh, Sharky wrote in, Sharky, I love your name. Sharky wrote in and said, what are some mid-season trades you'd like to see happen? So the NFL trade deadline is at 3 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, October 29th. It's coming up fast. The number one trade I want to see is the Bears trade for quarterback Marcus Mariota or Cam Newton, Panthers quarterback. Trade for Marcus Mariota, the Titan, the quarterback of the Titans, or Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Panthers. Cam Newton's not playing. He's getting overshadowed by Kyle Allen. Marcus Mariota just got benched, and it needs to happen. Matt Nagy is an offensive genius, and he's too good of an offensive coach to have his offense wasted with their quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. What Matt Nagy does that's incredible over and over and over and over again is he finds a way to create really good matchups. Like you go, wow, how did he get Tariq Cohen that wide open? I don't understand. It's unbelievable. He's just so good at that. And the quarterback for the Bears, Mitchell Trubisky, is not good enough to capitalize. And it drives me nuts. I hate watching it. And he's inept. Mitchell Trubisky's inept. He either can't see guys when they're wide open or he can't complete the pass. He's inaccurate enough. He misses reads. He's bad. He's so, so bad. And I just, I think, man, you're wasting a great Bears defense, a great head coach, because you're waiting for this horrible quarterback to develop, and it's not happening. So I think the Bears could honestly, they're, they're this good on defense, and if this good of an offensive coach, they could win a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl, if they brought in Marcus Mariota, the quarterback of the Titans. He's not incredible. He failed in Tennessee. But I guarantee you he can do better than what I watch every single Sunday from Mitchell Trubisky, who just makes me want to pull my hair out. And, and literally, just, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I'm like, I can't handle this. I think Marcus Mariota is a better fit for the Bears than Cam Newton. But either one, Cam Newton or Marcus Mariota, trade for them. If you're the Bears, make a move and make a trade for those two, one of those two quarterbacks because you need him. And your team is too good to stick with Trubisky who stinks, and isn't making it happen. The second trade I want to see is A.J. Green, the receiver from the Bengals, go literally anywhere else. I hate watching A.J. Green in Cincinnati. He's trapped there. Uh, He's on the trading block, potentially. Get him out of Cincinnati. I think the Patriots should give up two first-round picks to get him. I think, honestly, the team I want to see make a move for him is the Dallas Cowboys. And I know that's, you know, people go, oh, they already have Amari Cooper. Yes, they do. I'm not a huge Amari Cooper fan. I think he's fine. Uh, I, think he, I think there's other receivers that'd be better suited as a number one. And not only do I want to see the Cowboys have a great receiving core so that you can never, ever again make mistake and make excuses for Dak Prescott. If Dak Prescott doesn't win with Amari Cooper and A.J. Green, well, no more excuses for that guy. Well, the other thing is this. The Cowboys owner and decision maker, Jerry Jones, has had three years with Dak Prescott on a really small contract. And he didn't capitalize. He hasn't capitalized on the time he had with a quarterback that was cheap. The Rams, the Eagles, with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, when they those quarterbacks had small contracts, they were making moves left and right, trading for guys, 
making name, getting people in free agency. Like we have a bunch of salary cap space. We're going to use it all. And the Cowboys haven't been doing that with all their, they're like saving up for the future. And I get it. I don't blame them at all. They want to keep, they want to keep their team together long-term, but I think it's kind of on the Cowboys. You had a chance to win a Super Bowl when your quarterback was really cheap. And I still wouldn't, by the way, I wouldn't pay Dak Prescott what he wants. But I think the Cowboys had better make a move. And I just really, the point is, I'm, it's wishful thinking. I so badly want A.J. Green out of Cincinnati on a team that has a chance to win where he can make an impact, whether it's the Detroit Lions or the Packers or the Patriots or I don't care. I, I don't. I just want to see A.J. Green out of Cincinnati. It just it breaks my heart to watch. There's another trade that's been rumored. It's the Vikings receiver Stefan Diggs. Uh, I hope he doesn't get traded. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I hope Stefan Diggs does not get traded out of Minnesota. I hear rumors, but I think it'd be very unwise. He's so good. And he's such a big part of the Vikings. I, I really would hate to see them get rid of uh, Stefan Diggs. And if the Vikings traded away Stefan Diggs because he had a problem with their head coach, Mike Zimmer, he, I guess here's the point. If the Vikings decide to stick with Mike Zimmer, and get rid of AJ Green and, the, and that side. If there is, I'm look. I'm being very outrageous and ridiculous here right now. But if it, if the truth is that there's a gigantic divide in the Vikings locker room, and it's Mike Zimmer, the head coach, versus receiver Stefan Diggs, I'm choosing Stefan Diggs. Mike Zimmer is on his way out. I don't think he's got great. I wouldn't get rid of Stefan Diggs because he offended Mike Zimmer. That'd be very silly. I would not at all trade Stefan Diggs. Okay, uh, we have two more questions left. They are long. They're about the Falcons. Like, literally, like, they are so long. But they're they're very, uh, I think, the reason why I'm going to, you know, one of them suggests you could shorten them. I'm going to read the whole question because I think that the question themselves offers so much background to the situation. Uh, and I think they're helpful. So Kyler writes in and says, it's very long. It says, hey, Zach, hope you're doing good. First of all, just want to say I've been watching you since like March or April. I think you had 15 or 20,000 subscribers at the time. So I just think it's awesome to see your growth. I think your analytical and personal viewpoint as a quarterback is so damn refreshing. Oh, I said, dang, so dang refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't wait to see where you take the channel. Side note, you should sell some merch. Merch is coming. Can't wait. Merch is coming very soon. I have an announcement coming. I just can't talk about it yet. We're very, very close. On to the questions. He says, I'm a Falcons fan. And Lord have mercy, does it suck to be one right now? It seems like all Georgia teams can't finish, but regardless, what are your thoughts on the Falcons' struggles? It's hard to read aloud. It's very difficult. Do you think that it is largely due to post-Super Bowl expectations with that season largely being a fluke since we had an amazing coordinator in Kyle Shanahan, who I will root for wherever he is? Or do you think the reason why the Falcons have struggled is attributed to injuries over the past few years or maybe that Dan Quinn has taken too much on his plate and the players both defensively aren't buying into a system and similarly the offense, not buying into the offensive coordinator. I feel like we obviously have a passing talent. I've never liked our running situation, to be frank, but I think you have. But do you think Matty Ice is a long-term option for us anymore, especially given over, given the turnover-heavy season he's having? Sorry for the long question. You could definitely shorten it. I will not, Kyler. I like the question. It's Kyler's question. Okay, now here's an, a weird name. It's clearly a real name. <laughs> it's not. It's Despit DLR says, Hello, I found your YouTube channel recently and your vids do help me a lot to understand the game better. 
as we in Europe just started to get an interest in American football. So I have a question about my favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons. I got to ask, you're in Europe. How do you become a Falcons fan? Like, is that the team you picked? And why did you pick them? I wouldn't pick the Falcons. I would pick, like, I, I don't know. I just I, Maybe you picked them when they were good in the Super Bowl. I have no idea. I just want to know, that Despot, how did you become a Falcons fan? If you ever want to send me a message on, on Patreon DMs, that'd be a fun conversation to have. I'm curious. And, and if you want, I'll even read it aloud on the show because that'd be really fun. We can follow up on the narrative next week. How did this guy become a Falcons fan in Europe? Like, why did, why did he choose the Falcons? Very curious. His question is, how can it be that our defense is in this terrible state and get worse every year? Even though we have former defensive coordinator for the Seahawks and Dan Quinn as head coach and defensive coordinator, who is a big part of the creation of Legion of Boom. Why does it not work out in Atlanta? I know I screwed that up when I read it with, you know, the inflection, whatever, but uh, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing like, what's wrong with the Falcons? And why isn't Dan Quinn working? I want to compare Dan Quinn to his former head coach, Pete Carroll. Why is Pete Carroll successful and Dan Quinn is not? Two reasons to me. Culture and quarterback. Number one, the quarterback, you know, Pete Carroll has had Russell Wilson bail him out of so many situations. I don't think anybody realizes, and I I hope Pete Carroll does, how lucky he's been to have Russell Wilson. He has carried their team at times. You know, Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan is good. He's not as good as... Russell Wilson. He's good. He's one of those guys, you know, I love my girlfriend. I like my friends. I like Matt Ryan. I love Russell Wilson. Like and love are different. I like Matt Ryan. I don't love him. Matt Ryan cannot carry a team with a bad defense and a bad offensive coordinator. Russell Wilson did that for years in Seattle with Daryl Bevel. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian, bad, bad in Atlanta. And people talk like Dan Quinn doesn't know defense. Dan Quinn is a great defensive mind. He is. I like his mind. He knows scheme incredibly well. I heard someone, I think it was Pat McAfee saying like, you know, Pat, Dan Quinn was with the Seattle Seahawks and Legion of Boom, but he didn't understand Pete Carroll's system and why it worked. He just knew that it worked. That's not true. Dude, the guy knows football incredibly well. Of course he knows why it works. The difference is, the reason why Dan Quinn has not been successful and Pete Carroll has been, Quarterback matters and culture, culture, the culture in the locker room. Think about Pete Carroll. I've seen interviews with Pete Carroll. I could picture his face. I know I can picture his smile and the gummies chewing. Pete Carroll has this great personality and has built a good culture in Seattle. I can't picture, I don't, I don't even know what Dan Quinn's voice sounds like. I don't, I'm sure a Falcons fan does. I don't. Why don't I know that? Why don't I see ever pictures of him smiling on the sideline or encouraging guys? The culture that he's built has not been sustainable. He didn't build a long-lasting, sustainable culture in Atlanta. Those are the reasons why Dan Quinn has failed and is failing in Atlanta. He didn't have a great quarterback. He had a good quarterback that I like and don't love, but he didn't have a Russell Wilson, so that's, you can't carry a bad team. And he didn't build a culture that has bought into that system. Yeah, I love Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And I, I love Alex Grinch. I'm a big fan of his. He's awesome. I was there when he was at Washington State briefly. 
He did so well. He went to Washington State, they did so, then went to Ohio State, was co-defensive coordinator with Ohio State, did so well there, he got hired away to Oklahoma. Like, bam, bam, bam. Just, his career skyrocketed. And what I love, love, love about Alex Grinch is, yes, he's a guy who understands the game really well. He's a defensive genius. And Dan Quinn is a defensive genius, right? Other, a lot of coaches are very, very smart with X's and O's. But what makes Alex Grinch different, and what I observed from Alex Grinch at Washington State, is that he is so good at bringing out the best effort from his players. That's all he asks for. He doesn't ask for you to be incredible or really good or really talented. He wants you to be. He recruits well. But all he asks from his players, it's a very fair thing to ask from your players. Give me your best effort. Put forth your best effort, and we will succeed. If you bring your best effort every single play, we'll win. And the guys at Oklahoma this year especially, their Oklahoma's defense is really good this year. Way better than before. What happened? What changed? Recruiting, and then Alex Grinch's guys have bought into him. They fight hard for their coach. They know that if they give great effort mentally and physically, they're in the right spot, they buy into the defense, that it's going to work, and they're going to be successful. They've bought into Alex Grinch, and they've made a deal. We succeed if we give great effort every single play all the time. For whatever reason, that same deal has not occurred in Atlanta with Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn has not been able to bring that out of his players. That we're going to be in the right spot every time. We're going to have great effort and great technique. It's not that Dan Quinn doesn't know the X's and O's or the scheme. The culture in Atlanta hasn't worked. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. This is my show. That's all I have today. Uh, more tomorrow, a lot of film tomorrow. And now, uh, I just hope you have a great day. Playing us out. A tradition I am so excited for. Playing us out are my friends, Almost Blonde, and their song, Wasted Time. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy the show, and take care. Follow his dreams, a young man. Take a seat as I jump in the deep. So you can learn from my mistakes to cut the weight from your feet. I was once like you, and you'll be just like me. Don't mistake me for somebody that you shouldn't believe. Do you remember the person that you aspired to be? Well, he packed up his bags, and he's ready to leave. He's on the brink, it's time to think of what you want to achieve. Because there's a different path for the life you need. If it was easy, everybody would have followed your lead. And you will get no respect until you start to succeed. And people still are going to cut you just to watch you bleed. Take it from the old man who used to walk in your feet. time.